please have a seat. Amen. Wow. So did anyone else pray for the sun today? Because I just want to, can, can you just write their names down, the people who prayed for sun today? Because we just want to know exactly which ones to call next time we need a weather prayer. Those are, those are all good prayers to lift up. How are y'all doing? Good? I, I feel like you can't, like to not be doing well right now, uh, probably has nothing to do with the weather because the weather's as perfect as it can get. And, and it doesn't have anything to do with the lack of flowers or the, the lack of beauty surrounding you or the trees. It, it does, definitely doesn't have to do with the lack of good music and, and, or even being surrounded by wonderful people that love you because all those things are present. But, but that is true. So many times I feel like in our life we, we are not doing well. I don't know about you, but a lot of times I find myself not doing well, even though you hear life all around you. If you're quiet today, you could probably hear life in the distance. I, I've been imagining if someone walks down this path, by the way, can we just cheer for them? I don't know that they're going to, but if someone just randomly walks down the path, are you guys on board with this? We're just going to stand up and cheer for them like they want to rise. Okay. I, I feel that I feel the question of how we're doing is really a question of how our soul is doing. And so I'm going to get straight to the point. How is your soul doing today? Wonderful. Good. Good for you because mine wasn't this morning. So all right. No, just kidding. No, two days ago. You know, the reality is Easter doesn't start with like the perfect condition of the soul. It starts with that woundedness. It starts with that brokenness. And, and I, the people who said good, trust me, those are people that if they're saying good, it, they, they know that it's a miracle. I know them well. I love them. But the reality is that so many times we start out Easter and feel like we're coming with nothing and we don't have anything to bring. And, and the truth is that uh, Easter starts with a broken heart. It starts in a graveyard. That's where Easter begins. Easter starts with a crushed soul. It starts in the Gospel of John with one person, Mary, Mary Magdalene, not, not the mother of Jesus, but Mary Magdalene. And she, she goes to the tomb and she discovers that it's empty. Imagine she goes to the tomb to, to visit what remained of Jesus, which was the story she had and the body, the dead body. And when she gets to the tomb, she finds out that the tomb is empty. Can you imagine that the one last thing that she had that brought her comfort was that she would be going probably year in, year after year, after year to go and visit this tomb. But now she, she, the Bible tells us, believes that the tomb has been, has been robbed, that the body has been stolen by people who are desecrating the body of Jesus for whatever reason. And so she runs, she runs and tells, uh, goes back to wherever the disciples are staying. And she runs and tells Peter and John and John run back with her in the gospel of John. And they look inside of the tomb and she says, no, no, you look inside, verify, make sure that my report is right, that the body of Jesus is gone. And then Peter and John look inside of the tomb and they see there's no body. And the Bible tells us that they walk away, these guys, they walk away from her and leave her alone in the garden, or not garden, I should say graveyard. They leave her alone. Mary Magdalene, the, one of the disciples of Jesus, actually uh, scholars and, and, and Christians have always called Mary Magdalene the disciples' disciple. She's one that discipled the disciples. 
She's the one that brought the good news to the disciples, but she didn't have good news right now. She was standing in the garden. And this is how the scripture begins. It's so beautiful. It says these words, Mary stood outside near the tomb crying. She stood outside near the tomb crying. See, Easter does start in a graveyard. It starts, it starts in that place where we discover our own mortality. Have you ever had those moments? I mean, you don't have to raise your hand because I know all of you have. There's always been that moment where you, where you recognize, okay, well, this, this thing that I'm experiencing right now is not going to be my permanent condition. Then there's also those graveyard moments when you discover the brutality of the world. Remember when you were a kid and you just encountered your first bully? Or maybe when you had your heart broken for the first time. You know, you had the soundtrack going through, I'm projecting a little bit, you had the soundtrack going through your mind and you think it's all going to work out right and then it just doesn't work out. And your heart's broken. And that's real and we shouldn't diminish that. And that's only the beginning because you end up following a dream and then you end, that dream leads you to a dead end or, or, or there's some way that you've betrayed somebody and you need to seek forgiveness. There's so many ways in which the graveyard becomes more and more real to each one of us. And so Easter does start in the graveyard. And I like to say that the graveyard is really where we stand on the edge, stand, of the ed stand right here on the edge of eternity, don't we? Have you ever gone walking through a graveyard? Do you feel that this kind of, even though you know that it's, it's just stones and, and stones and bones, right? It is. But there's this kind of thing that takes your breath away when you go there. Because what's really happening, there's nothing really different about the stones and the bones, those conditions. What's different is about us because we go there and we, we stand on the edge of eternity and we look across the chasm and, and we contemplate what is there. What, what is beyond that? That's where Mary's at. But now she, uh, you know, a lot of people tend to look at this moment of the Bible and they, they, they would normally tell you that the worst, darkest moment of the Bible is the crucifixion of Jesus, right? You've heard that. And it makes a lot of sense. But as I've thought about this passage, I realized that actually the darkest moment of the Bible wouldn't necessarily have only been the crucifixion, but it could have gotten darker, when Jesus died and then when they brought his body and they put it inside of a tomb and then that was the darkness where there was no movement, there was no change for a whole two days. And then Mary goes and she finds the body gone as if things couldn't get worse, they got worse for Mary. And as word spread among the disciples that the body had been stolen, you can imagine that their souls were crushed. There's a famous saying that says it always gets darkest right before the dawn. And that's true in our lives. So many people have told me that the, the change, the one change, that one minute where everything goes from, from, from one direction in their life into a positive, better direction in their life, that one moment of change, there tends to be a common story in our lives where we find ourselves in the deepest parts of darkness in some way, shape, or form. And then we, we change because the light of Jesus comes into our life and it shines even brighter. Maybe that's why the darkest part is right before the dawn, because of the contrast. And, and so this is what the scripture says happened. It says that as she cried, as Mary cried, she bent down to look into the tomb and she saw two angels dressed in white, seated where the body of Jesus had been, one at the head and one at the foot. And the angels asked her, woman, why are you crying? 
At which point I would have run screaming from the graveyard. I don't know about you. What I find most odd about this is that she just continues in a normal dialogue with the angels. And we don't have any evidence that she's ever had conversations with angels before. But she's been around Jesus for a while. So maybe she's used to crazy stuff happening. So she's, she says, they've taken away my Lord. Not Oh, by the way, am I talking to some angels? <laughs> but she says, have they, they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've put him. And as soon as she said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And thinking that he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I'll go get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned. And she said to him in Aramaic, which was his, his childhood language, which was the language she was most familiar with, Rabuni, or Rabbi, which means teacher. And the scripture tells us that at this moment, Mary, Mary Magdalene, one of the disciples and followers and friends of Jesus, hugged Jesus. That there was an embrace that took place right then. That he wrapped his arms around her and she wrapped his arms around him. And, and in, that, in that graveyard, they, they were embracing. She was embracing the truth. He was embracing her in all of her pain and, and also joy as she discovered the power of God. Now, there's a couple things that I think, there's a, I, honestly, if you look at a scripture like this, you could find 10 million things to learn from it. But there's a few things that I think are important for all of us to remember because no matter your, where you are in your journey of faith, it's always true. But Jesus has always been there. Think about it. If God exists, right? It doesn't mean that God exists whether you believe in God or not, right? I mean, either God exists or God doesn't exist. It's not that God exists when you believe in God. And since God exists, if you believe that God exists, then God has always existed and always, God has always been there. It's not like God was there for you one moment and not there for you another. God was always there for you. And in the person of Jesus Christ, God has always been present in your life ever since you were born. And before you were born, the Bible tells us, even when you were in your womb, I knew you. See, God has always been there for you in your life. So now think back on the time when you skinned your knee or when that bully beat you up or when you had your heart broken. Think back on the time when you felt like the, the sickness had invaded your life. When you had, you had, you'd felt the greatest deep pains of wounding from rejection or maybe the betrayal that you caused in someone else's life. See, Jesus was always there. Jesus was always there right beside you in your life. I, I find that amazing that, that Mary was going through her deepest, darkest moment in her life and Jesus was right there the whole time. She just overlooked him because he looked like the gardener to her. So that gets to the second question, do you recognize Jesus? See, we tend to not recognize Jesus in our life. And I don't just say we, 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 but we, I say, because that sounds like I'm going to the bathroom, I know, but, uh, <laughs> or it sounds like I'm, I'm a little piggy running to the market. Okay, enough of that. I have kids, I have little kids, I tell them these things. We, 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 okay, never mind. But it's, it's us, the, the, the people of the Bible, the people for all of eternity. When Jesus encountered people, they would never recognize who he was. So when Jesus' parents 
were going into Bethlehem and the baby Jesus was to be born, they did not recognize him. In fact, they just saw Joseph and Mary, two stragglers off of the road, and they said, no, you're going to go have that baby over there because you're not important and what's happening in your life is not important and this, what we have in our life is more important than what's going on over there. And, and he, the Bible tells us that the only people who recognized who Jesus was were some shepherds. And the only way they did it was by being visited by angels in a field. When Jesus was uh, in his ministry and he was teaching in his hometown, people started to talk about how fantastic he was, that he was a prophet and he was a teacher. And you know what, you know what his, his neighbors said? They said, who, Jesus? No, that's, that's Jesus. He just came in my back door and would grab stuff out of my fridge all the time. They didn't have fridges back then, but you know what I mean. And they said, no, that's, that's Jesus, the son of the carpenter, Joseph. We know who that guy is. There's nothing special about him. These are the people that knew Jesus the most in his life, and they didn't recognize Jesus. The Bible tells us that the teachers and the prophets and all the people who were closest to the word of God and tried to study the word of God, they would identify Jesus as a prophet or a teacher or whatever. But no one really seemed to recognize who Jesus was. I love in scripture that we find out that, that one of the first people to really recognize who Jesus was, was one of the people who helped put him on the cross as a soldier, a centurion. And when he died, he said, surely this was the son of God. And even now in the garden, Mary's looking for Jesus. She wants nothing more than to be embraced by Jesus. And she still can't see him because she thinks that he looks like the gardener. How many times in our life do, do, do the appearances of Jesus get mistaken for gardeners or grandmas or teachers? See, the Bible teaches us that, that we are the hands and the feet of Jesus, that the hands and the feet of Jesus are around us and we just don't recognize it. There's other people who misidentify Jesus because they take bad experiences they've had. They take experiences of abuse and they say, well, that was Jesus. And no, it wasn't. It was not. Or they, they, they take uh, people who've said to them that Jesus is judgmental. And when Jesus would encounter them, that Jesus would only have his arms folded and stand in judgment. That's not what we learn in scripture. Jesus embraces. Even Mary Magdalene, who was one of the disciples who turned their back on Jesus and helped to put him on the cross there, every single one of them, Jesus embraces her. A lot of people think that Jesus is, Jesus is someone who doesn't love them all the time, that Jesus' love is conditional, and, and we need to start to throw away those misrepresentations and misidentifications of Jesus and, and come back to the biblical understanding of Jesus, to have our eyes open to who Jesus really is, and to allow ourselves. Now, this is the next part. This is the next step that I would say is really, really hard, is to allow ourselves to embrace Jesus and to be embraced by Jesus. To receive that hug, to receive that love that Jesus has for us and wants us to experience in our life. That's the fullness of life that Jesus has for us. I love that in the moment uh, that Jesus was with Mary, in that one moment, that one second, everything, all the greatest things in the world happened in one minute. Everything. It went from, from thinking about, not thinking about the future to thinking about the future. Went from, from, Wondering about eternity to having certainty about what eternity has in store for us, what God has in store for us. 
And in that moment, I believe, I think it's beautiful that Mary goes from a place of not, she, she's, in the, she's in the graveyard. She's just in the graveyard. And I'll bet the graveyard is the last place she ever wanted to be because it reminded, it was her, it was, it was proclaiming the truth of death wins. That's what it was proclaiming in her life. She went from that graveyard moment where the graveyard was standing in front of her, the shadow of the question mark of what loomed beyond this present condition of the body. She went from that to, to never wanting to leave that space because she found Jesus. It was her favorite place to be, but the Bible tells us that Jesus had a different plan for her in her life. It says these words, Jesus said to her, don't hold on to me. Hug done. <laughs> All done. I said that to my kids even. Sometimes they're just like, hug, 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 hug. <laughs> Especially if you're around your kids a lot. Now, this sounds terrible, but if you're around three kids a lot and they're just on top of you all day, at some point you go, stop. <laughs> I need to breathe. <laughs> a little claustrophobic. Only the moms laughed in that one. But... <laughs> but Jesus is like, hug done. <laughs> okay. But then he says, don't hold on to me for I haven't yet gone up to my father. Which is basically him saying, don't hold on to me because I'm, there's something that's going to happen that's going to allow everyone to hold on to me forever. So don't hold on to me because there's still more to happen. I haven't gone up to my father. And then Jesus does this beautiful thing. Instead of calling these disciples of his traitors or calling them betrayers, he says, no, go to my brothers and sisters. He says, go to my brothers and sisters and tell them, I'm going up to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene left and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And she told them what he said to her. See, Mary doesn't want to let go of Jesus. But Jesus has a plan for her to go out into the world. One person, Mary Magdalene, one person to go out into the world and to tell the disciples what she had discovered about Jesus. This is Jesus' plan. And I bet the angels must have been sitting there going, oh, by the way, do you know that we're angels, right? You know, we're pretty good at announcing stuff. We announced your birth and we didn't do a too bad job. He's like, well, you only told shepherds. <laughs> I can do better. <laughs> That's not in the Bible. I just made that up. The angels, I can imagine the angels sitting there. You know what angel means? It means messenger. It means messenger. The angels are like, by the way, that's my job. And Jesus says, no, no, I have a different plan. See, you know what? These people are going to do the job that the angels, that you guys wish you had. You didn't realize that each one of us has the job that the angels wish they had. We have the job of going out into the world, into the places. So this is, this is the shift that takes place. Are you ready for it? The shift is that, that you have encountered Jesus in your graveyard, whatever it is. You've encountered hope. You've encountered joy. And you know what? You might be saying, I don't really see Jesus. I'm only encountering a beautiful song in my, in my life right now, and I'm in my graveyard moment. I'd, and I would argue that that is Jesus. And you're saying, but I don't know. I just feel like I haven't encountered Jesus and I've only had a donut hole on the way in and a cup of coffee. And I would say, can I get a little praise Jesus on that? Just a little bit yeah. for caffeine and the love. And a lot of times there are all these misidentifications of Jesus. And I would say, you know what? Jesus has been there. Jesus is there for you. Jesus is ready to be embraced by you. And whatever you have, 
That would be called the mustard seed. That's all you need. A lot of people say, I need a mountain of faith because I see people with mountains of faith. Jesus changes the world through just one seed. Just one, one seed, one person. I love Robert Schuler. He's one of my favorite preachers down in Garden Grove. Remember him? He did, used to do Hour of Power on TV. And he's uh, just, just a sweet, sweet guy. I love him because he's broken. I love his brokenness is obvious. Everybody knows he's broken. This is, I like pastors who are, who are like super broken because then they like make me feel like, okay, all right, all right. But one of my favorite quotes from him is, him is he held up a little seed and he said, anybody can tell you the number, of, the number of seeds in an apple, but only God can tell you the number of apples inside of a seed. All right, you don't get it? One, just one. Jesus sent that seed out. He sent Mary out into the world and she told the disciples and they encountered Jesus too because they were saying, hey, I can't really believe this. They, they had the same response that Mary had when, when she encountered the angels. And that's true. We hear the, 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 the great news. We hear the good news from different people in our life and the reality is I, God loves it when people say, I need to see for myself. I need to experience for myself because that, then God says, okay, when you ask God and you say, God, I want to experience this for myself, that's when God says, all right, now you're ready. So all I would say to you today is for each one of you, as we begin this one series, this series is going to be awesome. I'm telling you, they get better and better. This series, this one series is a game changer. It will be a game changer for your family. It will be a game changer for your business. It will be a game changer for this city. Because what this one says is it says, you know what? You're coming with your graveyards, right? You're, you're in your graveyard moment. Suddenly your graveyard changes into the place of greatest paradise because you encounter Jesus and you recognize that there's life and there's hope in the graveyard. But you know what Jesus says? Jesus points out to the world and he says, look at all the graves. Look at all the people standing by the empty tombs in their life. Look at all the people hearing a pastor yell across the city. You're going to have to heal them. Because <laughs> they're like, that sounds crazy. I don't want to be part of that. And it is crazy because we actually have this faith, this naive faith that leads us forward to the belief that we could actually use our hands, the hands that have wounded others and still do, the hands that, that we have, the normal hands, God could use those hands to heal people, to bring healing into our communities, to bring healing into our neighborhoods, to our businesses and into those schools. I'm so excited about this next year, hiring this new next-gen pastor. Now we've got a pastor for missions. We've got a pastor for our next-gen zero. We call it cradle to cap, right? It's really the pastor to parents, by the way, just heads up. Because <laughs> that's how it's going to get done. We've got our worship pastors lined up. We've got our team ready. But, you know, the reality is it doesn't, it, that's not how the kingdom is built. Not at all. Because... We got, I know these guys, these are guys are the pastors of hugs, man. They put on down jackets in the wintertime. And when you come to church, just stay away from them if you don't want a great hug. They're amazing. There's pastor for, pastor for planting orchards and bringing good things into life. Jesus was a gardener. You can see him up there. I wonder if she mistook him for the gardener because he had clippers in his hand. He's like, let me just make this a little more beautiful. We have pastors of business. We have we have pastors in the schools. We have pastors. I see so many pastors. Each, each and every single one of you is a pastor. 
And what we do here is we, we bring the honesty of our condition and we encounter the truth of our Savior and we experience the depth of that embrace and we depart in obedience, faithful obedience to his command to go into the world and to meet people in their graveyards and to see the transformation that takes place. I'll say being a pastor is the best job in the world because you have a front row seat to see what God is going to do. It's never about what you're going to do. Downstairs, they were saying, hey, we have a lot of kids here today. It's so awesome. I said, yeah, there's a lot of kids. I said, if it doesn't work out, just tell them, well, we asked, asked God to make it work. Just say, God, what, what happened? <laughs> we're sending you on a mission, but the mission is to just faithfully follow Jesus and see what he's going to do and to go into those places and to proclaim the goodness. And even if you're not sure, it's pretty amazing to say, hey, you know what? Why don't you just come and see, just like Mary did. Hey, Peter. Hey, John. Hey, guys, I need your help. I need to come investigate this with me. Would you do that? That's such a good experience. I've seen so many people. I've seen myself change more than anything when I take people along for the journey with me because I learn more about the goodness of God. We're so thankful you're here today. Do you realize that we prayed for you guys to come here? We pray that God would stir in your hearts. I don't know what miracles had to take place for each person to come here. We're so thankful that you're here today. And we want you to question and we want you to wrestle and we want you to be honest about your journey because I'm going to be honest about my journey. I'll be honest when I have moments of doubt. And I want to welcome you into that journey where, where we just walk through life together and we say, this is, this, is, this is how I've experienced God's goodness. And that's the journey we invite you into today. At Highlands, our, our tagline is where the journey begins. And so my prayer is that you would just join this journey with us, that, that you would experience this, this path and that you would start to wake up to the beauty of the birds and the life around you. Wake up to the, to, the, to the ways in which God is speaking to you through the sun and the trees and, and through the, even the gravity that is rooting your feet to a beautiful, beautiful earth. And then you would find yourself in the stillness. Those moments encountering the honesty of your soul and being okay with that. As you stand, as Mary did on the edge of eternity, looking across that great chasm and asking those deep questions, and then allowing God to shine God's light through Jesus Christ into your life. In some ways, you guys preach the greatest message I've, I've ever heard today. Each one, each little piece proclaims the way in which God has, God's journey in your life. And I love someone, someone said, I'm going to put the, I'm going to put the flower on the top. Isn't that great? Someone else says, no, I'm more, I'm more about this space over here. I'm going to take a red flower. I'm going to take a yellow flower. And what, 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 what takes place is, is a proclamation of God's goodness. Taking what otherwise would be an implement of torture, only an implement of torture, only a symbol of darkness and death, and Jesus transforms that into life. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful for who you are. 
We are so in love with you, God. We love this weather. We love, we love these trees. We love the way in which you nurture us and care for us. See, Lord, we are so thankful for the way in which you have loved us throughout our entire life. We're so thankful that you've always been there for us. And, and that we have misidentified or not said thank you for the ways in which you've been present in our life, Lord. We pray that you would extend that grace into our life and that love, that mercy. And we know, Lord, that what you do is you seek to embrace us. So we walk forward into that embrace and receive what you have prepared for us and are ready to go into the world, Lord, and to tell of your good, great love that has no bounds, that has conquered death and has welcomed us into life. We pray this in Jesus' holy name and all God's people said, amen. amen.